Spring is in full bloom. Are your finances? With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, you can build credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments, all with no annual fees or interest. With Chime's Secure Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started today at Chime.com slash build. That's Chime.com slash build. Chime feels like progress. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com slash disclosures for details. Nicole Troisi is a graphic designer who lives in Ohio, and she recently got some good news at work. She got a raise. Anytime you get a raise, you're like, you know, you're excited about that and happy and you, I mean, that's why everyone works and goes to work and does their best every day and hopes to advance and and make more money. And I personally love what I do for a living. During the pandemic, Nicole's boss got a PPP loan, so everyone in the company got a $1 an hour raise. And Nicole was psyched because that money was going to make a big difference. I was making more an hour, and that was helping, and it was going in the bank, and we had a little extra money, and, and now that is totally gone. Totally gone because of inflation. You know, we're seeing a situation where workers in many ways have more power than they have had in decades. They're feeling emboldened to go in and ask for raises, and in many cases, they're getting raises and bonuses. That's Abba Batarai, the economics correspondent for The Post. But we're also in a situation where prices are rising at the fastest rate in decades, and that 7% increase in inflation has wiped out almost all of those gains for most Americans. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, This is Post Reports. I'm Martine Powers. It's Tuesday, January 25th. Today, we're talking about the erasure of raises, how a pay increase at work can't keep up with inflation. Plus, later in the show, the escalating legal battle over mask mandates in schools. According to ABBA, in 2021, we finally started to see wages tick up for many Americans after years of just barely budging. We saw overall about 5% average wage growth, which was huge, except that inflation came in at about 7%. So when you account for all of that, a 5% pay raise becomes a 2% pay cut. And that's sort of the situation many Americans are in right now, where they're perhaps making more money than they were a year ago or maybe even ever in their lives, but they're still struggling to pay for basic things. And I think in many ways, it's really counter to the narrative that we've heard so far in this stage of the economy of how good it is for workers right now, how they have so much more uh, ability to ask for raises, to make more money, to have more choices in their jobs, but not talking about the part where everything else is more expensive. Exactly. I mean, last year was a year where we heard so much about workers' power and about this sort of movement, you know, this job market that was just in favor of workers. You could go and ask for a raise. People were desperate to keep you. And many of the workers that I talked to said that they felt really good about their raises that they'd gotten. They got maybe 5%, even up to 20 or 30% in some cases, which was unheard of before the pandemic. But they've been very surprised at how difficult it still is to afford just things like groceries and gas, which is up 50 percent from a year ago. So these are huge jumps in prices that we're seeing. 
And how do we know all this? How do we know that for the average worker that wages are increasing, but also that what they spend money on is also increasing in price? Every family's experience of inflation is going to look slightly different. For some people, maybe they're seeing groceries go up more, particularly if they buy a lot of meats and beef and poultry, things like that, where we're seeing the biggest price increases. For others, they might be struggling with car payments because used car prices have gone up significantly during the pandemic. And so we're seeing this sort of trickle down in different ways to different types of families. But overall, it's a 7% increase on average. Can you tell me about some of the conversations you've had with workers who have received raises recently, but have been kind of surprised by how little that has actually changed their financial situation? Yeah, so many workers said that they fought throughout the pandemic, particularly the ones who were going in every day in person for two years. You know, they kind of felt like, okay, like it's time for me to get a pay raise. Sometimes it was like a very antagonistic exchange with their employers and they finally Mm. got a dollar more or three dollars more an hour. And at first they say, you know, it was really nice to have that extra money coming in in their biweekly paychecks. But they quickly realized, especially as their rents came up for renewal, that prices were going up there. Gas prices were higher. Grocery prices, they just started to notice that they're spending more at the supermarket. And many of them are also saying that it's going to get a lot worse when their student loan payments resume in May. So many people are also bracing for that. Devin Norris lives in Florida and works as a high school teacher. He's seen a 20% pay raise since the beginning of the pandemic and now makes $47,500 a year, which is the most he's ever made. But even so, he says it's next to impossible to find an apartment. Unfortunately, even with that little extra help, it's still not enough to live in this city. We're seeing a huge rental price increase across town. Um, I'm looking at having to probably get myself a second job, second or third job. So I'll probably end up having to pick up a job back in the restaurant industry where I've worked for many years so that I can actually afford to continue living here. It's been a complete emotional roller coaster for many people. They toiled through the pandemic thinking that things were going to get better, that they were going to get what was due to them. And in some cases, they did get it, but it's still difficult. And they feel like they're on this slippery slope where they can barely hang on at it as it is. And they're just kind of waiting for the next, <laughs> next shoe to drop. And they're not sure how they're going to manage after that. I wonder how much these two things of wage increases and also inflation are related, because I I wonder how much of it is like, okay, you have a bunch of people who recently started making more money. They can spend a little bit more on flights or hotel rooms or whatever, like luxury item that people want to spend money on. And that creates more of a demand and makes things more expensive. Absolutely. The two are definitely related. For the time being, the economists that I've talked to, at least, seem to think that the inflation that we're seeing is just the results of, A, a booming economy, which, like you said, is because of wage gains in in some cases, but also because we've seen prices. We've seen so many supply chain disruptions throughout the pandemic, port closures, factory closures, things like that. And it's kind of it's made everything more expensive. It's made labor more expensive. It's made basic products like wood or steel, aluminum, plastic, those are all rising in price. And so actual products themselves are getting more expensive as well. 
I'm also interested in what this means for business owners, because I imagine that they are kind of feeling this squeeze, too. If your workers are demanding higher pay um, raises to keep up with inflation and you have to deliver on those demands because the the labor market is so tight, at the same time, you're dealing with higher prices for everything you need to do business. I mean, it seems like the the margins for making a profit are getting smaller and smaller. Many of the business owners I've talked to are dealing with this. They're dealing with higher costs at every end of the spectrum. Like you said, in terms of workers, in terms of products, shipping costs have soared very much during the pandemic. And so all of these things are coming together, squeezing profits and also raising prices for consumers. So how concerned is the U.S. government that essentially, even though wages are rising, that you still are seeing inflation outpace it? So the Federal Reserve has signaled that they're very concerned about inflation. They've done a total 180 in recent months from saying, nah, not really reason to panic, to saying, okay, we're going to put everything we have towards combating inflation. So that's their main goal. And we're also seeing Joe Biden make it a bigger part of his policy agenda. But at the same time, there are just so many variables out there, as we saw most recently with Omicron, that sort of putting new pressures on the labor force, on businesses, on production of items. And so it's really one big question mark that everyone's trying to figure out at this point. So Abba, then what is the solution here? (laughs) That's a great question, Martine. (laughs) (laughs) You mean you don't have it? There's just not like the one that you're ready to roll out that's like, this could answer all of our problems? (laughs) No, unfortunately, I don't. I think there's just so much uncertainty out there. And a lot of a lot of economists are saying that it, now, now that we've seen this huge surge in wages for many people, we're going to see that slow down quite a bit in 2022. Also, the kinds of people who are getting raises is likely to change. Last year, we saw a lot of the lowest income workers in the economy get raises. Hospitality and leisure workers saw their pay go up by about 14%, which was huge. But a lot of that was because of the reopening and because we had this huge surge in demand all of a sudden after the vaccines rolled out in the spring and everybody wanted to go out and travel and go to restaurants. So there was a real need for workers. It's not clear whether we're going to have a similar situation to that. Probably not this year. And so wages are likely to stay stable or maybe tick up a few percentage points, but not anything as dramatic as what we saw last year. Thank you so much. Thank you. Abba Bacharai is an economics correspondent for The Post. Ariel Plotnick produced this story. After the break, why school districts in Virginia are suing the state's governor. It's been quite a week in Virginia schools, and it's just the beginning. It's just starting out. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Classes in session. Find Try This from the Washington Post wherever you listen. On Monday, seven school districts in Virginia announced that they are suing Republican Governor Glenn Youngkin. 
After winning the election in November, Youngkin was inaugurated earlier this month. And in the first week of his term, he has issued an executive order that would exempt students from mask mandates at their schools. We are encouraging people to take responsibility and make their own decisions. And I believe this is a moment for us to stand up for parents' rights that they can make with regards to their children. On Monday morning, parents were gathering outside of a high school, encouraging kids to take off their masks. I mean, we had just this week in Percival when the on the first day of school without the mask mandate, there were parents who were yelling. In fact, there were some parents who were offering free donuts to kids if they said they would go into school without a mask. Laura Meckler is an education reporter with The Post. She says that the mask optional order has plunged Virginia into chaos. But it is not the only state that has had to grapple with whether kids should mask in schools. In fact, these debates raged in many, many states with governors saying, you know, no, you're not allowed to do this. And school districts pushing back in the big cities where Democrats are in charge there. They would say they're following the science. Republicans would say that they are going overboard, being too paternalistic. And what is Governor Youngkin's rationale for this? His rationale is that this is up to the parents, that parents can decide for themselves whether their kid needs to wear a mask or not. And that, yeah, if you think it's a good idea, put a mask on your kid, but that there should essentially be parents' rights in this. And 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 it's, it's all part of sort of a larger conversation, both about parents' rights, which is a big Republican rallying uh, cry right now, and also around the idea of pandemic controls, this balance between sort of normalcy and protections. And in that balance, if you're more worried about the virus and you're more worried about protecting yourself, of course, you're going to say, wear a mask. But if you're more worried about a return to normalcy and the damage that some of the things that we've done around the pandemic has caused people, especially kids, then you're going to say, no, kids need a normal life. It's too difficult. It's too hard for them. Up to parents to decide that balance themselves. So what does the latest science say about whether or not it is safe for children to go maskless inside of school settings? Well, what the science says is that the more mitigation measures you use, the safer you will be. So if you have a mask, that is going to help prevent the spread of the virus. Now, the science also is changing on what kind of mask you need. So there's more and more evidence that the cloth masks some of us have been wearing are not as good as, say, an N95 or a KN95. So What we're now hearing from experts is, you know, you should not just wear a mask, you should wear the best mask available. But really, in general, when you're talking about what's happening in schools, what the experts say is that it's layers of mitigation. So get vaccinated, that will protect you. Wear a mask, that will protect you. You know, keep your distance from people, that will protect you. Don't go to school if you um, are sick. Don't go to school if you've been exposed to somebody and you're not vaccinated. So it's not really one thing makes you safe or unsafe. This isn't a switch that goes off and on. It's more like a dial that turns. And what most experts will tell you is that wearing masks is safer than not wearing masks. And in Virginia, we have seen school boards actually take action to circumvent the governor's mask optional order. Tell me more about why they have gone to that extreme to counteract what the governor is trying to do here. 
So we have two legal actions already in Virginia trying to stop the governor's action. It would not be unheard of for courts to step in in a case like this. In fact, in five states, courts have stepped in to stop the governors from essentially stopping school districts from requiring masks. So, you know, we'll have to see what the courts in Virginia do. Tell me more about how this fight has played out in those other states where you've seen similar orders to prevent mask mandates in schools. You know, they have been somewhat ugly, I have to say. Now, it's somewhat calmed down because the height of this was really um, as summer was concluding and school was opening last fall. But, I mean, we saw just daily volleys back and forth between governors and state education commissioners against big school districts. What we've really seen in the end is that at least in a handful of states, the governors have gotten their way and they have been able to prevent these mandates from being in place. But, you know, Martine, one thing we should keep in mind is that we also have, of course, in this country, always have the other extreme, which is that in 16 states, there are orders that districts have to have a mask mandate. They also don't have a choice, but they don't have a choice in the other direction. They're required to require their own students to wear masks. I wonder what kind of position this puts school administrators and teachers in when they are trying to keep children safe, but that they feel like the practices that are necessary to do that are in direct contradiction with what their state government is ordering them to do. They're completely caught in the middle, right? I mean, and in fact, what we've actually seen from many teachers and also students is a demand for more safety measures. And we've seen that throughout the pandemic. And and these last few weeks are no exception with the rise of Omicron, where you've seen teachers saying, hey, schools, you're not doing enough. And now we have a countervailing pressure coming from the other direction. So for teachers in Virginia, I am sure this is quite frustrating because for the most part, teachers have been worried about their own safety and the safety of their kids. For administrators in Virginia, some of them, I think, are completely fine with it. You know, they didn't, they weren't requiring masks anyway. But in other cases, like for in Northern Virginia outside of D.C., where we see more liberal school boards, this is very frustrating. Is there an argument here that, look, Glenn Youngkin was just elected as governor on a platform that was pretty explicitly about giving parents more control over what their kids were required to do and not do at school related to masks and that, like, this was what Virginia wanted. Yes, I think there is an argument. I mean, I think it's often said, you know, elections have consequences, and I think this is a not unforeseeable consequence. Now, what our colleagues in Richmond who cover the new governor have written is that he won by a small margin and his early actions have been governing from the fairly far right And it's not entirely clear whether he had that kind of a mandate. But that said, absolutely. I mean, I think his position on masks in schools was pretty clear. So I don't think that there should be a whole lot of surprise about this. And absolutely, this is what at least a majority of Virginians voted for. I think it's also really interesting to see how politically salient these issues are. We talk a lot about mask mandates, especially in schools. We also talk a lot about the issue of critical race theory and whether and how that is taught in schools. But sometimes I feel like we don't really put those things together. And it is interesting to me that it seems like it has become such a politically powerful issue for Republicans, this idea of 
control over what kids experience at school and that giving that control back to parents and away from teachers and administrators and school districts who think that they know best, that that seems to be really working for a lot of Republican politicians. First of all, I, I think we're gonna we're gonna it's yet to be seen exactly how well it's working. We we saw it work for one Republican politician, um, Governor Youngkin, and this was one of the reasons I think it's fair to say there are a lot of people who see power in this, no doubt. And by the way, it's not just Republicans; Democrats will say this is a vulnerability for them as well. And it does at first. You think what do masks have to do with teaching race in school? You know, they seem like totally separate issues, but they have been drawn together around this theme of, as you said, parental control. Parental control is, of course, in the eye of the parent. There are plenty of parents who view it otherwise. So the idea that that parents are somehow all demanding one thing or another is not true at all. But yes, this is absolutely the way it's being framed in this election year. Where do you see this whole battle going in the coming months? This is something that we're going to be talking about a lot. And it isn't necessarily going to be the narrow question of do Virginia schools, are they allowed to require their students to wear masks? What we're going to be seeing is a larger conversation over the course of this year around this idea of parental choice, parental control, pandemic response, who is making these decisions. We obviously are in a political year and we are going to see this playing out everything from school board races to governor's races, even to Congress. You would think, well, what does Congress have to do with any of this? We've seen the Republican House minority put forward legislation that has things about all sorts of elements of parental control in it, more information for parents. It's all part of a campaign that is being ginned up right now around this idea of parental control. And the pandemic is certainly part of that. Laura Meckler is an education reporter with The Post. Jordan Marie Smith produced this story. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was mixed by Sean Carter. It was edited by Alexis Diao. One of my personal New Year's resolutions has been to give more compliments, to tell my dentist that I appreciated the thoroughness of her cleaning, to tell my mom that I think that she's doing a great job taking care of her new plant. So if you are in the same spirit of doling out appreciation, we would love if you could tell a friend about a recent episode of Post Reports that you liked, if you could leave a review on your podcast app, or if you listen on Spotify, give us a five-star rating. It will make us feel good, and I bet it will make you feel good, too. And thanks. I'm Martine Powers. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Glasses in session. Find Try This from the Washington Post wherever you listen.